Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3. I'll read NLT. I read that. The Bible says that this letter, this letter, letter, series of letters, is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sustens, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, God's church in Corinth, it's a city, Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you peace and grace for grace and peace. May God, our Father, that's my prayer for you today, and the Lord Jesus Christ, may they give you grace, grace and peace first corinthians as it were so let me talk to you about the city corinth because sometimes when you study the bible it's important to understand the context all right the city not just the um the context in terms of the events around what was written but also geographical setting the historical setting and all those things so those are some of the gaps that we have whenever we study scripture you can never really understand the, the letters or the epistles if you don't try to really understand what was going on in the city the church where the church was located and things like that so let me talk to you about corinth corinth was a city of course an ancient city um in the days of paul and it was a pretty great city it was it was it was a rich city it was a, a thriving economy um corinth had ports and so one of the reasons why the city tr- you know was doing so well was because ships would have to dock all right on one end one one, one end of the city um and the ports offload their goods transport the goods on land through corinth to the other end of the city and then board another ship to go on the reason why was because it was very dangerous for ships to sail around corinth and so you had to pass through so a ship was coming all right from any part you know from the east it would have to in most cases if it was not a very big ship and if you wanted to risk your life it was actually life-threatening to try to sail around if you wanted to be lazy or say well we don't have time to do this whole because imagine how many weeks it takes you to offload a vessel a ship and transport the goods across about four miles across on land to the other side of the city and load onto another waiting ship you know at the other on the other port on the on the on the west end of the city and then they go on their journey it was just it was laborious but because of that all that activity Corinth was always bubbling. There were travelers, tourists coming in and out of the city all the time, people who were waiting for their cargo to be moved, all right, uh, people who had their ships docked and they just went into the town to, you know, spend some money. So, so the city had a very vibrant economy. Um, there were rich people in Corinth, there were poor people in Corinth, there was free men in, in Corinth, there were, you know, it was, it, and it was also a cosmopolitan city because of the nature of the city, like I said. So you had Jews, you had greeks you had romans you had people from egypt you had people from asia that settled in corinth it was very mixed very diverse much like toronto all right and so these people came with all their different cultures came with all their different religions and settled in corinth 
And so Corinth was known as a very liberal, everything goes kind of town. All right. People come through. You imagine, you know, you're, you're passing through. Right. So you can do whatever. Um, and also there was a ton of idolatry in Corinth. There were, there were about six major temples, major. So the temple of Apollos is still some parts of that temple is still standing today. Um, and you can find good pictures of that online was in Corinth. There was another temple which was very popular, the Temple of Aphrodite, which was the goddess of love, as it were. This particular temple was bad news all around. There were said to be over a thousand prostitutes at this temple. So whenever people came to the city, either they were religious tourists, they wanted to come and offer sacrifices to Apollo, to Aphrodite, to any of the other gods. They would go to the temples and they would perform their sacrifices or their rituals. And you know, if you went to the Temple of Aphrodite, part of the rituals that you had to engage in was sexual intercourse with the prostitutes that were there all right so the city was a very immoral city as a matter of fact <laughs> um, a word was formed called to corinthianize corinthianize which basically means it's 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 synonymous to perversion okay so that was the kind of city that this was and um Paul, there was a synagogue in the city, by the way. So Jews, obviously, wherever they settled, whenever they could, they would build a synagogue, which was a place of worship for Jews. This was not a Jewish town by any means. But wherever Jews gathered and they could, they would build a synagogue. And so there was a, a Jewish synagogue in Corinth. And Paul, as his, his custom was, whenever he went to a town, he'd go into the synagogue first, try to speak to the Jews. Most times he didn't, he didn't have any luck. And then he would dust off the shoes and say, well, I go to the Gentiles. Okay, if you guys would not accept this gospel... Nah, to hell with you. Can I say that? I think I can. Heaven and hell. It's it's a Bible thing. Yeah. To hell with you guys. I'm going to um I'm going to the to the Gentiles. And so that was what happened in Corinth. He started out in the, in the synagogue, entered some kind of dispute. He found you know. Then he went on and joined himself to some of the Gentiles, and he started a church. All right. Um. And he was here for a year and a half. He started this church in Corinth pastor of the church for a year and a half and while he was there obviously he settled he knew the town pretty well understood the culture and so when paul writes the letter to the church in corinth he's writing to a church that he's very familiar with he's writing to a church that he knows in and out he's writing to a church that he started to people that he has pastored to a place that a town that he i mean a city that he had lived himself um not only lived but he'd also worked there because at that time also, one of the things that made Corinth such a, a thriving city was that there was something called the Isthmian, the Isthmian Games, which was second only to the Olympics back then. So just like the Olympics, think about it. And people would come from every part of the world to come and participate in these games. And Paul was a tent maker. That was his profession. So he would obviously make tents for all these visitors and tourists because they needed a place to stay. And so he probably made a lot of money while he was in Corinth. All right. So he, he, he was very familiar with these people, with this town um, of Corinth. And he pastored, like I said, pastored the church for a year and a half, and he moved on as he often would. And what happened was that when he moved on, after pastoring this church, news came to him. People brought reports to him that the church was in crisis. People brought very concerning reports back to him. Sometimes they wrote letters to him and told him about things that were going on in the church, and Paul was troubled. In some cases, people came to him physically and said, guess what? Church is not doing so well. These are some of the things. These are some of the issues that we are struggling with in this church. And this church, by the way, was the church that had the most issues out of all the churches that Paul wrote, wrote to. This church was completely dysfunctional. It was a hot mess and a half. It was a disaster. And I like this particular church. It's my favorite church. And the reason why is because I really think 
that this church is the closest representation of the body of Christ today. I think if there was a church that is closest in, you know, <laughs> in behavior and structure and just the, the state of the church to the body of Christ today, to the church at large today, it's the church in Corinth. And so that's why I like reading the book of Corinthians, because I see <laughs> a lot of, you know, things that are very similar to what we see in the body of Christ today in the church of Corinth. I love the church, the closest thing to the church today. And so when, when we read the book of Corinthians, obviously we tend to, <laughs> if you read it well, and you understand some of the issues that they had, and some of the issues we're going to talk about today, you, you want to criticize them. You actually want to just say, you guys are, you guys are not even saved. Let's, let's even start there. You guys are not born again at all. Y'all ain't going to make it on Judgment Day. This is madness. This is crazy. But the truth is that you have to think about the fact that these guys were new in their faith. They, they all, all of them had been in the faith probably between one to three, four, five years. Three years at most, if anything. Right? And so they haven't, you know, they hadn't had the opportunity to attend Festival of Life or uh, conference, church conference or Holy Ghost meetings. These guys were just growing in their faith, even though they were pastored by Paul. All right? I find this particular church amazing. I'll tell you one of the reasons why. This one of the reasons why. This church was pastored by Paul, Paul himself. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but understand that Paul was no mean guy. Paul, the revelator. Paul was the guy that had depths of insight. This was a guy that never met Jesus while he lived, but he downloaded all the revelation about the communion. This guy was in a class by himself. All right, Paul was a guy who's teaching the most balanced teacher in scripture after Jesus was Paul. Paul was very balanced in doctrine. He was anointed. He was a prophet. All right, he could see, you know, the end times. He had revelationary gifts. He could teach the word of God with precision, with accuracy, with authority. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. This guy had a resume when you talk about spiritual things. I mean, if Paul was your pastor, I mean, you were as blessed as it got. Can you imagine the guy that gave us Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, that guy being your pastor? That was the pastor of this church. He was the most hardworking of all the apostles. He had a reputation. And he started this church and pastored them for a year and a half. But even though Paul pastored this church, look what the church became. Can you imagine a church pastored by Paul becoming so dysfunctional, dis becoming so I, I, I can't even describe, you know, the things that were going on in that church. Can you imagine that? And that tells me a couple of things, all right? A couple of things. The first thing it tells me is that there is a tendency for our Christian walk to degrade and deteriorate very fast if we don't give it due attention. I'll say that again. A year and a half, he passed out these people and he left them. And within two years, he got news about some of these ridiculous things that was going on in this church. There is a very very high possibility and there's a strong tendency for your christian walk to degrade to deteriorate if due attention is not given irrespective of who your pastor is all right paul pastor these guys yet look at how messed up they were the second thing that that tells me is that there is a very very significant ability you know the, the, the culture the culture in the place the external environment has a very strong influence on the church because a lot of the issues that we saw in this church in Corinth was as a result of the place where it was located. And so you have a situation where the Bible says we're in the world, we're not of the world. We've talked about that before. But you see the church being almost a replica of the world. Almost a replica of the world. It's very easy 
for the body of Christ to be derailed. It's very easy for the, for the body of Christ to struggle to represent Jesus the way it ought to. It's very easy. And I, you're, you're wondering, what's that got to do with me, Pastor, you know, and all that. But the truth of the matter is that you are church. You are church. We are the body of Christ. So we have the global church, the body of Christ as a whole. We have the local church, like Lighthouse Church and any other church. But you also have yourself as a unit of the church. So if someone was to write a letter to Jesus right now about you, what are the things that they would write? Would it look like the letter? <laughs> would it look like the issues in the Corinthian church? Or would it be different? Either way, we need to assess ourselves and say, is my Christian walk, is it consistent with the expectation of the Lord? Remember in the book of Revelations, Revelation 2, Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, Jesus the Christ, you know, in a vision with John, he's telling him, writing seven letters to seven different churches. Of the seven churches that he writes letters to, five of those churches have issues. He says, I have a problem with you. I have a problem with you. As a matter of fact, you, I have many problems with you. Can you imagine that? Five out of seven. So what is the state of your Christianity? If Jesus was to write a letter to you, like he wrote to the church in Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna and the church in Ephesus and all these churches in the book of Revelation 23, what would he write to you? What would he say is the issue that he has with you this is where christianity becomes real because we have to look ourselves in the mirror and be honest with one another about things what would he write to me you know that question was ringing in my head all, all all week what would he write to me if he looked at me as deji the church you are a church by yourself what would he say this one thing I have against you because that's what he said about most of the churches in revelation this one thing i have against you you've forgotten your first love this one thing i have against you you're lukewarm you're neither hot nor cold he wrote different things about you know to the different churches what would he write about every one of us right now if he jesus wrote you a personal letter as an element of the church what would he write about you a church pastored by paul so much degradation so much ridiculous conduct in that church the culture has a very strong influence on the body of Christ. It's something that must be resisted. And we've talked about it casually, you know, do not conform to this world. This is a church pastored by Paul. And look at the mess in this church. Let me just tell you some of the issues that this church had, okay? Just some of the issues. The first issue was that there was division and disagreements in the church. Division and disagreement. Some people said, I'm of Paul. Some people said, I'm a follower of Peter. Some people said, I'm a follower of Apollos. And they started forming factions within the church based on personalities, based on individuals. And <laughs> the church was divided. Does that sound familiar at all? Does that sound like denominationalism where we say, well, I'm an Anglican. I don't believe in all these Pentecostal stuff. I'm a charismatic. I don't like all these Protestants. We have all these views and we're divided among so many different lines. One person prophesies that Trump is the chosen one of God. The other one prophesies that Trump is the Antichrist. I mean, we have we have such confusion in the body of Christ today. It's unreal. Division everywhere. So some people said, well, Paul is my guy. <laughs> and this was just strictly based off of personal preferences. They liked the way Paul spoke. They liked the way Paul presented the gospel. So they, they camped with Paul. Well, um, Cephas or Pe Peter is my guy. That's my guy. Apollos is my guy. And Paul says to them, what? Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> As my son would say, are you really, are you seriously kidding me right now? Are you kidding me right now? So these, these were Paul's thoughts on division in the church, okay? On this whole sectarianism and all that and, and, and the schisms that were in church. The first thing he said was that only Jesus died for you, okay? So he said, Paul didn't die for you. 
I never hung on a cross for either of you. I'm ready to die for my faith, you know, but I will die as a matter. Not my, my, my death will not be sacrificial in any way. I'm not going to die for you, even if I was to get killed. I will die for Jesus. So only Jesus died for you. Peter didn't die for you. Apollos didn't die for you. Your bishop didn't die for you. Your, um, your Facebook pastor didn't die for you. The only person that died for all of us is Jesus. How about we think about that? So he's saying to them, you're saying in 1 Corinthians 1 from verse 12, you're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Did I die for you? No, I didn't. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you weren't. So only Jesus died for you. That's the first response he has for them. The second response he has for them is this, is that we are just men and we are nothing. So he's, that's where you get that popular scripture that says that Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. And the next verse after that, it says that it's not he that plants, nor he that waters that is anything, but it's the God that brings the increase. In other words, if I plant, if Apollos waters and God does not bring increase, then nothing happens. So Paul is nothing. Apollos is nothing. Peter is nothing. It is God that is everything. So we are just men and we are nothing. That's what he says. Number one, only Jesus died for you. Number two, we're just men and, and we are nothing. Number three. He says there is no other foundation. No other foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 Can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus? So your foundation is not a doctrine. Your foundation is a person. And the person is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can anyone lay except one. And that's Jesus Christ. So the question is this. If your foundation is what your pastor said you know m most of us quote our pastors more than we quote jesus oh my pastor said my pastor said this but what has jesus said to you if your foundation is anything or anyone other than jesus christ then he says that that is not even a foundation at all he says no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is jesus christ so the first issue in this church is there were there was division they couldn't see eye to eye they they embraced personality they embraced eloquence. And Paul was saying to them, that's one of the reasons why I didn't come to you with eloquence. I came to you in the demonstration of the power and of the Spirit so that your faith would rest not in my wisdom or in my eloquence, but in the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Only Christ died for you. We are men. We are nothing. No other foundation. It sounds simple. It sounds basic. But if you look at yourself, can you say the you know, factually that there is no other foundation I reckon with apart from the foundation that is Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the only foundation I have. So methods and strategies and personalities should never sway us. The only thing that remains a constant is Jesus, is Jesus. Division and schisms in the church. There were also disagreements. So not just were they divided along the lines of I'm for Paul, I'm for Peter, I'm for Apollos. There were also disagreements between brothers in the church. Paul... <laughs> They were suing each other to court. Lawsuits. And Paul, what Paul says is this. He says, how dare you? Can you imagine? How can he say something so strong about the fact that a brother sues another brother or a sister sues a sister or a brother sues a sister? I mean, church members suing each other to court. Paul says, how, how dare you do that? How dare you? And I had to dig into this to understand. What do you mean, how dare, how dare, how, how dare I do that? I mean, if someone cheats me, I'm going to take him to court or what, what have you. And he's saying, how dare you do that? He's disappointed in them. He's disappointed. He can't believe it. 
He can't believe it. You know, where church has become like an episode of Greenleaf. The drama, left, right, and center. This sister doesn't talk to that sister. That brother cannot stand this one's guts. And when we have issues, he says that you take your issues and you go settle them in front of unbelievers. Seriously? Listen, by the way, those people... <laughs> Let me shake this table a little bit. Those people who go on social media and claim to be correcting Christian doctrine, okay? And they say, well, I'm doing it for the benefit of the church and all that. You need to listen to what Paul said. Paul, Paul is saying to us that he's not saying don't disagree. He's not saying because when Paul had a disagreement with Peter on doctrine, on doctrine, by the way, this wasn't a, this wasn't the personality issue. This was doctrine. There was a forum for them to address that issue. But what has happened really, and I, I don't blame the people on social media, is because the church has not created a forum for people's doctrines to be challenged, for us to have discussions and debates about doctrine, so that we can all come to a consensus on what is and what isn't. But no, you just go out there, someone says something, and so you go on social media, and unbelievers look at you, and they're like, really? This is how the body of Christ is. I want nothing to do with it. This is a joke. This is a joke. So Paul is saying, how dare you? You take your issues. You can't settle it between yourselves or amongst yourselves. You can't settle an issue in church. You, you cannot use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to bring judgment to an issue. Don't you know that we will judge the world? You take your problems, and you go before a judge and say, I want to sue this brother. Paul says, how, how dare you do that? How dare you? He says something very interesting, which is actually building a building block on what we talked about last week. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 6, pay attention to this. This is very strange. 1 Corinthians 6 from verse 6, he says that, but instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. I cannot believe this. Even to have such law lawsuits with one another is a defeat to you. Now, look at what he says. Wow. He says, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Remember last week, Paul said to us, know your rights, but leave for others. In other words, uh, forego your preferences, forego rights that you, know, that you have for the sake of a struggling. He was talking about a struggling Christian. But today he's saying, this week he's saying, forego your rights for the sake of the body, for the sake of the church. For the sake of the church, he says, it's better for you to allow yourself to even be cheated than to try to prove a case and you go before unbelievers. He says, don't do that. So there were disagreements. All right. Greenleaf, left, right and center. People where you drag your, your brother to court and all that stuff. You know, because we're members of one body. That's, that's what we don't understand. When we, when, we, when we fight each other, we both lose. We're members of a body. You don't cut off your nose to spite your face. You can't be pissed off with your nose and say, well, or your face and say, well, I'm so upset with my face, I'm going to cut off my nose. The whole body suffers. Paul says you cannot do that. You know, the only thing I can think about, I remember many years ago, 2000 and uh, maybe 2003 thereabout. Um, I was 2003, I was living with, a, with an uncle of mine in the U.S. at the time. And he used to watch this show called Jerry Springer. I don't know if you've ever seen, I mean, let me know in the chat section. Have you ever watched jerry springer before jerry springer is a, is a crazy show by the way i don't i don't encourage it but you can catch just a highlight of the show just to understand the context of what i'm trying to say and as i was reading about this you know jerry springer came to mind because on that show um what really happens you see you know someone come on, on the show bring his mom and say my mom was sleeping you know well, my a girl brings her mom my mom was sleeping with my husband or your father brings a daughter my daughter was sleeping with my son. It's crazy i mean 
madness. Com- <laughs> the, the, the kind of stuff that you're like, what? This is this is crazy. I mean, what are you talking about? That's the kind of stuff that was happening on Jerry Springer. You know, people bring their, you know, um, a man brings his wife, says that my wife is sleeping with my brother and my two sons. Crazy stuff. You know, and, and so <laughs> as I was thinking about this, whenever I watched that show, I remember back in the day, um, I only had two questions. And it's, it's the same questions that Paul had for the church, really. He said to them, you know, how could you do this to one another or to each other? How could you possibly do this to each other your family so he's not saying that you should just go around cheating people in the church and misbehaving to people in the church and taking advantage of them because they're christians like you he's saying that the fact that you even have to get to the point of a lawsuit is a shame it's a it's a defeat to you how could you do this to each other how could you sleep with your dad's wife how could you do this thing to each other you know same thing like jerry springer that's the first question i'm like you you guys are your family this is your mother really how could you do this to each other? The second question that always came to my mind is, how could you bring this to the public? Like, <laughs> you know, let's even assume that you guys are nuts and yeah, your, your family is dysfunctional and you're really having these problems. You really think that national television is the place to come and air your dirty laundry? And that's what Paul was saying. He's like, how dare you do these things to each other, number one. Number two, if it's been done to you, what makes you think? that you should take this in front of unbelievers and go showcase this to the world. He was like, don't do that. Don't do that. The church was a mess. Another problem that the church had was sexual sin. Oh my God. Sexual sin was a thing in this church. As a matter of fact, there were, there were many sexual issues. One main issue was a particular guy who was sleeping with his father's wife and the whole church knew it and no one said anything about it. Paul was livid. He was like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the first time he said, how dare you? This time he says, I, I can't believe this. You know, sounds like a Nigerian. I, 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 I just can't believe this. This is, this is unbelievable what, what I'm hearing right now, that this is actually happening. Immorality. People were, you know, like, don't forget, like I said, the context. Prostitutes all over the town. And so these prostitutes that were, you know, priestesses of, you know, Aphrodite, this the temple of Aphrodite was up upon the hill somewhere and they would come down at night and come and sleep with people. And they would, this was, immorality was a thing in the town and it crept into the church. And Paul heard about it and he had to address the issues. So he's saying, number one, let me deal with this nuisance of a person who's sleeping with his father's wife because you guys would do nothing. So he, <laughs> he brings judgment on the guy, number one. But then he goes on to say, look, if you cannot control yourselves, get married. That's why in 1 Corinthians, there's a bunch of conversations around marriage. He's like, look, if you know that you, you, you are completely incapable of keeping it in your pants, Please get married. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In, get married now, all of you, and stop this nonsense that I'm hearing in the church. There was sexual sin everywhere, you know, in the church and whatnot. Very, very disturbing things. But something that Paul says to us about sexual sin, and I want to talk about sexual sin for a bit. Um, Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he's talking to the church after he's heard all this stuff. He's heartbroken. Um, he says, run from sexual sin. Run from it. Run from it. Run from it. This is not a negotiation. He says, run from it. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? He says, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. With a high price. 
this is important he says so you must somebody say must you must honor god with your body i know we say this all the time honor god with your substance and your first fruit and your tithe and all that stuff another way to honor god paul says is with your body honor god with your body he says you've been bought with a price this this body it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, it, you know, it's like I said, you need to understand context. So you read the books of the Bible really come alive to you. That's why he's talking about, you know, he that joins himself to a halot is one body with a halot. It was the Corinthian church because halots were coming down from the temple at night and they were just sleeping with halots, just having fun. Man and man, women, they didn't even care. They just did whatever they wanted. And no one condemned them because that was the culture of the land. And Paul says, no, you can't do that. He says, you, you, you have to be different. He says, run from sexual sin. Run from it. You see, the thing about this is that <laughs> when you when you when you talk about sexual sin, people you know get all oh sanctimonious, like oh no, you know this, this you pretend like it's not an issue. But you and I know that this is an issue in the body of Christ today. Pastors have fallen for this stuff, you know. Church members just living their lives like there's no consequence, or let's call it struggling. That's what we call it, struggling. And then when you try to talk to someone, you say, well, well, don't judge me, don't judge me. The Bible says, don't judge me. No, the Bible doesn't say, don't judge you. The Bible actually says, judge you. As Christians, we're meant to judge each other. We're meant to help each other. I remember many years ago. Um, I I remember what year exactly now. But a while ago, I was near near my faith. I was serving in church. Um, I was very close to my pastor. I was his protocol guy. I used to drive him around anywhere he was going and all that. I remember one Sunday afternoon after service, he was you know what pastors they were just chatting around with people and all that. And he came to me and says, "Hey, DG, you know he called my girlfriend's name at the time. We're members of the same church." And he says. I heard that she's been spending nights at your house. Let it never happen again. And he walked away. No, he didn't actually walk away. When he said that to me, he was like, oh, by the way, yeah, this person needs a ride. He didn't even wait for me to respond. He was just like, this is a command from today. Let, let it never happen again. You know what? I was glad he told me. I was glad he told me. You know you, how sometimes, you, you know, when you, when you live in secret sin, you, you, you cover it up. And that's your undoing, really. That's your undoing. At the end of the day, the Bible says that he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. All right, that was the difference between David and, and Saul, by the way. David sinned against God. He said, Oh God, I have sinned. He opened up and took you know, took 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 responsibility. Saul was like, um, no, no, you know, just can you just cover me up a little bit so people don't know what's going on here? And God says, No, a broken heart, a contrite spirit, I will never despise. I will never despise. Flee sexual sin. That's what the Bible I'm here to do for you what my pastor did for me. I'm grateful he did because that day I told the girl, I said, Hey, it's not me, it's not my fault anymore pastor said <laughs> so blame me okay some of you need to blame me pastor said it should never happen again pack your bags don't come back you know let let this not happen again all i needed was someone to tell me the truth about that situation i knew i knew it was wrong i was struggling with it already but that push was necessary paul says flee sexual sin it's interesting also that it's in first corinthians that paul talks about love because for some of us, our argument is, but I love him. I love her. And how do I, you know, let her know that I love her um, if we're not doing stuff together? Excuse me. There's nowhere in First Corinthians 13. It says love is kind. Love is patient. Love is this. Love endures all things. All, no. No records of wrongdoings and all that stuff. It never says love is copulation. It never says lo- love is getting naked together. None of that is, is not the definition of love. So I like the fact that it's actually in Corinthians as well, why he addresses the subject. He says if you know you cannot control yourself, get married. All right? So admit that you have a weakness. Admit that you have a weakness and go before God because with God, until you admit you have a weakness, until you're able to open up, he that covereth his sin shall not, until you're able to open up about the issue, grace is not available to you. 
Grace is not available to you. Nobody. Listen. I have never seen a tombstone in my life, in my whole life, that read, this guy died from sexual urge. Because sometimes you feel like anytime you have a sexual urge, if you don't, if you don't fulfill that urge, if you don't manifest that you're going to die, it's a lie. Nothing's going to happen to you. You can live holy. You can live pure. You will not die. Nobody ever showed up in the ER and they're like, oh, what happened? They're like, oh, I had a sexual urge and I didn't fulfill the urge. Now I'm about to die. I'm about to die. Oh, let, let's shock his chest. None of that stuff. It doesn't kill. It doesn't kill. So whenever we do it, we have to be honest with ourselves that we chose to compromise, all right, or that we were weak and asking the Lord to give us strength, to give us strength in Jesus' name. The one thing that kills you is living after the flesh. The Bible says if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Not physical death, obviously spiritual death. Romans 8 and verse 13. 13. Sexual sin. Huh. You know what the Bible says about this? That, that's interesting. When Paul is talking to them, he talks about the fact that God is faithful. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 and 13. But God is faithful. He will not allow you the temptation to be more than what you can stand. Stay with me. God, in his faithfulness, what he will do is that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. But he says that, but when you are tempted, what God does is this. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So now, you would, God, don't tell God, God, take away this sexual urge. I rebuke this urge, this spirit of lust. Um, okay, spirit of lust you can rebuke, but sexual urge you cannot rebuke. Uh, God, make me impotent. God, make me impotent. God will not make you impotent. <laughs> what he says is that God will show you a way of escape. And he will not pull you through the door. He says, you will have to walk through the escape. He will show you a way out. You choose not to use the way out. And then we say, well, the temptation was too strong. The Bible says, no, it was never the strength of the temptation. It was your unwillingness to use the way, the way of escape that God has made for you. That's why you fell. That's why you fell. So anytime you find yourself in, you know, in a place of temptation, look for the way of escape because God has already made it so that you do not compromise all right so that you do not compromise paul says flee from sex flee flee sexual sin all right hmm. another problem that this church had is that there was no order complete lack of order in this church they were spiritual but extremely confused this is what happened in that church this is this is a true this is a this is the reality of the corinthian church pay attention at communion communion the you know the lord's supper Everyone is very holy. We've just sung about the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the cross. All that stuff. The old rugged cross. You're about to take communion. Some people were drunk at the communion table. And they would drink all the wine. And some people had nothing to drink. Not only that. Some people dig, <laughs> they would dig into the bread and consume the whole thing. So people started, started fighting. You drank too much. And you have three or four drunk people at the communion table throwing up and acting a fool. And the Bible says that this was the church of Jesus Christ. In Corinth, the Corinthian church, you got to love these folks, man. They knew how to enjoy life. They were getting drunk in church at the Lord's Supper. And Paul said, what, what lawlessness is this? Lack of order. Lack of order. Oh, spiritual gifts. This church, everyone had a spiritual gift in this church. But the problem, no order. One person is prophesying, another person starts teaching. One that person is teaching, one person starts blasting in tongues. 
It's not start blasting in tongues, it's not start casting out the devil. Five, six, seven different things happening at the same time. Chaos. Paul had to tell them, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? Do you not understand that it's the same Holy Spirit that's in you, that's moving all of you? But he says that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, one person prophesies when he's done, then the next person can start. Chaos everywhere, spiritual chaos. And guess what? Is there spiritual chaos in your life? Are you gifted? <coughs> Excuse me. Are you gifted but unhinged? Are you gifted but without boundaries? No one can give you boundaries and say, don't do this or don't do that. You're just gifted. Are you are you are your gifts running wild or have you tamed them? Can God tell you, be quiet for some time? Is there spiritual chaos in your is there order in your spiritual life? Are you consistent? Because sometimes chaos is not just about what you do publicly, it's about your private chaos. You pray at 7 p.m. today, the next week you pray at 7.22, and you, 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 you're, not, you're not structured in your approach to God. It's good to pray. Anytime you pray, it's good prayer. But guess what? There is value in being orderly with God. There's a reason why God put man in a garden and not in a forest. It's because of order. We were built, made to thrive in place that ha- places that have order. If you don't have order in your spiritual life, then you are, you're, you're just a you're, you're working like the Corinthian church. You're prophesying. Prophesying, shaking, vibrating. One person is rolling on the floor. Right across, and that person is prophesying in tongues. Ridiculous stuff. And Paul says, what are you guys do- doing? He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I would never come into an assembly of the saints and bring about chaos. Spiritual chaos. Are you gifted but out of order most of the time? Do you tame your gifts? Do you use it in accordance with the pattern that God has described or prescribed for you? <laughs> I remember, you know, I remember I've been in different kinds of <laughs> prayer meetings. There was this particular fellowship or prayer meeting I used to be a part of. There was this sister in that prayer meeting. God have mercy on me for mocking. Okay, maybe I shouldn't mock, but she she could sing. She was really good at it. She was really great. She had a great voice and everything. When we start praying, she not start taking songs and not start very loud. And then after a while, she just switch gears and everyone is now distracted. And I'm like, like sis sis what's going on can you relax all right relax sing you can sing and pray there's nothing wrong with that but if it becomes a distraction paul says do not do it do not do it chaos 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 and the last thing that i want to talk about they, they had imbalanced doctrine there were gaps in their doctrine there were questions about the resurrection some of them do not believe in the resurrection anymore paul <laughs> paul says to them listen are you kidding me right now you don't believe in the resurrection if you don't believe in the resurrection, then Christians are the most miserable people, you know, miserable people in all the earth because you're basically saying that all we do is we live this life and this body and that's it. Paul says, no, 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 no. If by any means this resurrection thing is not true, he says that we are all men most miserable. Uh, miserable. thing is, this, are there gaps in your doctrine? I like the way my friend Toby puts it some, some weeks back. Toby said to us that, and I, lo- I love that, he said, if you don't believe this, what else don't you believe? Do you remember that? Toby said that to us. He said, if you don't believe that, then w- the question is not just that one thing you don't believe, but what else don't you believe? So you can say, I don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. So, okay, but what else do, do you not believe? Gaps in doctrine. This is a perfect picture of the church today. There's division. There are disagreements between denominations. All right? Sexual sin, bringing out people left, right, and center. People have no regard for holiness anymore. Chaos, a lack of spiritual order in the body of Christ, and doctrine that's not balanced. Gaps, holes in doctrine. 
But the thing about Paul is that when Paul observes everything, you know, Paul is like a, like a doctor. He, he, he's read all the letters, all the reports that have come to him. He's heard about some of the issues that people had told him that were happening. And Paul is, is here trying to diagnose this situation. <laughs> he observes the symptoms and the signs like a doctor. He looks, he performs a differential diagnosis, and he concludes that the problem is this. They are carnal. <laughs> Simple. I, I have no two diagnosis, but these people, this is a church of Jesus Christ. They are saved. They are spirit-filled. I mean, they have the gifts of the spirit busting at the seams. Everyone is a prophet. Everyone has tongues. And everyone can teach. Everyone has revelation. Everyone can see angels. But these people are carnal. So my question to you is, are you a carnal Christian? If Jesus was to write you a letter, like I said before, Will he warn you about things that point to carnality in your life? Paul says these people are just carnal. That's it. I, I mean, the one thing I can conclude, the underlying factor here is that this is all carnality. You're carnal. That's why you're divided. Because you cannot see Jesus. You're seeing people. You're seeing personalities. You're carnal. That's why you're suing your brother. You must have your way. You must. I mean, someone has wronged you. They must pay a price. So that's carnality too. All right? Sexual sin. He says that you're just being carnal people. All right, lack of order because you're gifted, your voice must be heard. Everyone must hear my prophecy. Oh, I'm accurate. I'm more accurate than she is. Why is she the one being allowed to prophesy? I must be I must I must speak the prophetic word that I have in my heart. And in, in doing that, you've you've mingled your spirit, your human spirit, with the Holy Spirit and corrupted the move of God. He says that's carnality. He says you're being carnal. You are not mature. And so he says in First Corinthians chapter three, from verse one, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people i can't relate with you as spiritual people but as carnal people okay as babes in christ that's what carnality is you're you're immature in christ he said i fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive solid food and even now <laughs> you're still not able for you are still carnal that's it you're you're, you're you, this, this is you know, he's like, this is carnality on display. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So what's carnality? It's when you behave like mere men. It's when Christians behave the way everybody else would behave. If you cheat, if you cheat someone, you know, outside the body of Christ, you cheat someone, just a random person, he's going to take you to court. He says you're carnal because you're doing, you know, you're living the way everybody else would live. You've brought society, you've brought culture into the church. And there is no difference. There's no distinction at all. He says that that is carnality. You're living like mere men. Like mere men. Everyone ha wants to have a say. Everyone ha wants to be honored. Everyone wants his voice to be heard. He says you are. Yeah, you are carnal. You're carnal. So carnal Christians are governed by their human nature. Carnal Christians are dominated by culture, by flesh, and by self. As a matter of fact, this is what it is. A carnal Christian is any Christian that is dominated, okay, under the government or the rulership and the dominion of anything else but the Holy Spirit. So if you're under the influence of yourself, you're carnal. If you're under the influence of the flesh, you're carnal. If you're under the influence of society and culture, you're carnal. If anything else other than the Spirit of God rules, dominates, calls the shots, dictates how you live, Paul says that you are a carnal Christian. So are you a carnal Christian? How do you behave? Behave like mere men or do you behave like a 
like a spiritual person. Carnal Christians are saved, but they behave like they're unsaved. Carnal Christians have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but no fruits. They can speak in tongues. They can pray. But he says, but their behavior, their conduct. Paul says, this is carnality. All your prophecies, that means nothing. And he starts to give them a grounding, saying that, look, even if you prophesy with the tongues of angels and you have not love, remember, love is a fruit of the Spirit. He says to them that you are just a, you're just a clashing symbol. You're just a noisemaker. That's what he says to them. Really, though? But in church, we, we, we esteem people that have the gifts. They can prophesy. They can teach. But he says that if their behavior does not reflect the nature of Jesus Christ does not reflect spiritual maturity. If you cannot comprehend spiritual things, you cannot take meat and solid food. That we only have to be teaching you elementary doctrine. You can only take the basics. Everything you can take is just the basics. You cannot, you, when we teach you hard doctrine, your spirit reclines. You cannot take it. He says that you cannot. Gifts but no fruits. They're in church, but they live like the world. They're immature immature christians they can only tolerate milk those ones that say don't judge me that's a kind of christian because in first corinthians 5 12 paul says this very clearly it is my it is not my responsibility to judge outsiders so we're not meant to judge outsiders not the world but he says but it certainly certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning and judgment is not unto condemnation okay it's unto repentance it's for someone to tell you bro that's not okay. You need to fix that. Doesn't mean the person is perfect, but it's in love. The Bible says correcting each other in love. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. That church, they're too judgmental. Hey, 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 hey. Cano, 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 cano. They cannot tolerate strong words. You know, in Hebrews chapter 6, I want to read this and I round up now. Hebrews 6 from verse 1, NLT. It says this. <laughs> so let us stop going over basic teachings. Somebody say basic teachings. Basic elementary teachings about Christ again and again. This person, was, the writer was frustrated with the Hebrews. Like every time we have to take you through this basic stuff again, we cannot move on. Let us go on instead and become more mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamentals. The importance of repentance from evil deeds. When we tell people repent and live holy, they're like, oh, this is too hard. This pastor is too strong. No, it's the word. It's, the Bible calls it fundamentals. Repenting from evil deeds. Another fundamental doctrine, faith in God. Another fundamental doctrine, baptisms. Another one, laying on of hands. Another one, guess what? The resurrection of the dead. This is a fundamental doctrine as far as Paul was concerned. And this church was having issue with fundamental doctrines. They had a problem taking in fundamental doctrines. And Paul says to them, are you kidding me right now? We're still talking about resurrection. You, we can't even move on to more weightier matters, all right, like consecration and stuff like that. We're still dealing with this stuff. It says we should move on to further understanding. Are you a carnal Christian? Are you a carnal Christian? I know everyone say no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But really, are we immature? You know, there's only one cure for being a, for, for carnality. One. One. And it's simple. The way to beat being carnal is to yield to the Holy Spirit. 
That word yield is a critical word. Word. To yield means to give room, to allow him take or take control. It's to <laughs> you know the world will you don't need to yield to the world. The world will take control of you, whether you like it or not. Like I said, so the society where you live, you will see those kind of attributes in the church. You look at a church, you can tell that there are elements of society that are brought into the church, even things that are not Christ-like. So you don't need to yield to it, but if you yield to the Holy Spirit in all situations, meaning something is pushing you, but you decide that it's the way of the Holy Spirit that I would go. This guy's just insulted me. This person has just done something to me. Oh, I want to cover up my sin, but it's the way of the Spirit is saying to me, you need to speak to someone, you need to be convicted, you need to address this issue. Then do it. Yield to the Holy Spirit is the way to kill being carnal. If you yield all the time to the Holy Spirit, then you cannot be a carnal Christian. It means that you're a spiritual Christian. It means that you're a mature Christian. Because the Holy Spirit would only emphasize Christ. That's one thing you must understand. So when you have divisions, you know that you're not, you're, you're, clearly you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would never emphasize personality. The Holy Spirit would never emphasize individuals. It would only, his job is to glorify Christ. He would only emphasize Christ at all times. He would never glorify your methods. He would never, he would only glorify Christ. So my charge to you is this. To a large degree, you know the areas in your life where you're still kind of, where you're struggling to yield, you know, to, to give room, to allow the Holy Spirit lead. You, you, you know that you don't, you don't want him to take control of that area because you're still either enjoying the pleasures of that area or you're just not quite ready to let go yet. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Your, your prayer today is a prayer of surrender. I surrender everything. Let my life be driven, be governed by the Spirit of the living God. That's it. That's it. So that when Jesus has to write me a letter, if he does write me one, he would not tell me these 17 things I have as issues with you. These 10 things are problems that I see with you. Let him be able to say, I am proud of the Christian or the child that you've become. Not because you're going to be perfect, but because you are yielding. You're yielding. The Holy Spirit will deal with you in a subtle way as he's been doing. And I feel like that's the, that's the emphasis of the, of the moment. The Holy Spirit has been dealing with us in ways and we've been neglecting him. And we've been, we've been resisting. Okay? We've been resisting. Just yield. Just yield. If you yield to the Holy Spirit, carnality will be a thing of the past in your life. That's one of the ways you grow significantly in your spiritual walk. And the Lord will give you the grace to use the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you, <laughs> can you help me ask someone, help me ask someone, are you a kind of, I think all of us should just answer yes, 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 yes. yes. I definitely am kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling in this area. I don't think I'm fully, fully spiritual yet. And that's okay. That's okay. But what is not okay is to say, well, I'm, this is me. This is just me. Just take me as I am. God, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the agreement you had with God. When you came to the other, I said, I surrender all you need to let him take control of your life my prayer for you is that the lord almighty will give you the grace okay to yield to it. the spirit of god will not force you to yield it's you that yields to the spirit but you need grace to do it you need grace many times you cannot do it by your own strength you know that you need the grace of god to yield to the holy spirit i pray that god gives you the grace where you're struggling to yield to the holy spirit in the name of jesus thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, 
download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.